You are listening to The Heart of Christ, a year-long podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. Throughout 2022, we will spend time reflecting on Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, so we can come to know not only what Jesus has done, but who he is. What is his deepest heart for his people, people who are weary, stumbling, sinners, and sufferers? So we invite you to grab your Bibles, prepare your hearts, and come along with us as we find rest in the gentle and lowly heart of Christ. Welcome to episode 12 of The Heart of Christ. My name is Keith Winder, one of the pastors at Wheatland, and today I'm joined by Krista Bush. Krista is a member of Wheatland, along with her husband John and their two children, Malachi and Jude. And we will be reflecting on chapters 12 and 13 of Gentle and Lowly, which talk about Jesus as our friend and the Holy Spirit as our helper. And so before we get going, Krista, I wanted to know if you could tell us a bit about yourself For people who are listening and maybe haven't met you before at all, or maybe they just don't know you very well. So we have really been blessed to be a part of the Wheatland family since right as soon as we moved here to Lancaster about five years ago. And we are very grateful for how God has already used this church in our lives since we've been here. So a little bit about my family. I grew up in Pittsburgh and John is from here in Lancaster and then we met at college. We lived in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, For the first seven or so years of our marriage, we both went to grad school there at different times um, and were involved in a church out there. And now we've been here for about five years. So you probably would recognize Malachi and Jude as John's clones, but I'm also (laughs) part of them. (laughs) Um, My time is mostly spent at home. I get to be mostly at home with my boys. Um, I do work also part-time. I'm an occupational therapist, so I initially worked in outpatient pediatrics in Pittsburgh before we moved out here. So I still love being able to field any therapy questions or helping brainstorm with parents on ideas for their kids. So if you have any questions, feel free to find me. (laughs) Um, Right now I currently teach part-time for college online biology courses. So anatomy and physiology is the one course that I've spent the most time developing. So it's definitely my favorite one. So I'm a science nerd. I love helping um, other people learn it and study it more and uh, try to help students discover the amazing complexity of the human body. So right now, if I have any extra time um, in the spring and summer, it usually goes to my plants and gardening, um, being outside, working on moving flowers around or researching why my zucchini isn't producing fruit. That's me living my best life. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit about me. Uh, So today we're going to zero in a bit on Jesus as a friend of sinners. But as you've been reading this book, Krista, uh, throughout the book, been reading Gentle and Lowly, how has it, I know for some people it's sort of reframed the way that they've thought about the heart of Jesus. I mean, just taken them in a, in a completely different direction in a way. Uh, but for some, they've said, no, this is in a sense what I've always thought about the heart of Christ, it, but this has just strengthened it or, or deepened it. And how has this book been affecting the way you think about the heart of Christ? Maybe it's reframed it and changed what you thought about Jesus, or maybe it's just taken something you've always 
known or thought, but it's taken it to a different level. Yeah, so in thinking about this question, because I knew you were going to ask it. <laughs> um, so since college, the book of Hebrews has been my favorite book of the Bible. I had the opportunity to take a class on it, um, and it completely changed my view of Christ and how he relates to us as a human being. That the concept of Jesus being a full person with emotions and feelings and a human with human needs was such a drastic, eye-opening thing mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. But I think my tendency is to continually drift from that and drift back towards a very moralistic view of God and finding that, you know, if I'm not living up to his standards, that he's disappointed or distant or angry. So I love this book and that it's bringing me back to those ideas of the gentle and lowly. The heart of Christ is not one that's going to be disappointed or angry with me so I think it's such a good thing to come back to these ideas that you know were stirred in me so many years ago Mm -hmm. now it's been a while (laughs) Um, and just to be reminded especially of the humanity of Christ and how he comes alongside us um, yeah not being angry or disappointed yeah Yeah, it's interesting like I I like yes I know Jesus was human I I know it Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's so hard for me to comprehend a human who's sinless, that my default is to think, ah, oh, well, Jesus, okay, he just appeared human, or he's, in my imagination, he's actually just this spirit that looked like a human, but there's no possible way that he's human like us, because I just, right. I don't have any imagination for a human that can't sin and stumble and fall. Right. And so that's why I love, yeah, Hebrews is great for that, and, and this book is so helpful because it just keeps pressing on that mm-hmm. idea over and over and over again. Um, so in Matthew 11, the and it's interesting because that's the, the main verse of this book comes from Matthew 11, but in Matthew 11, the crowds are rising up against mm-hmm. Jesus, and they accuse him of being a friend of sinners. And it's interesting because... They, this sort of indictment against Jesus is meant to delegitimize his ministry. It's meant to say, like, no, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be who he says he is because he, he hangs out with sinners and he's mm-hmm. a friend of sinners. But then in reality, for Jesus, it's like, no, this, is, this does make me the Messiah. And also, for us, it brings us this great comfort. Dane Ortland mm-hmm. says, has this quote, that Jesus is a friend of sinners is only contemptible to those who feel themselves not to be in that category. But for those who know themselves to be sinners, this label is one of unspeakable comfort. And so I think like that's what we see in the gospel accounts, that sinners and people on the fringes or people on the outside, uh, Jesus welcomes them and brings them in. And they're not uncomfortable in his presence. Luke says that the sinners and tax collectors were drawing near to him. They're pursuing Jesus as he's welcoming them. And so... It's interesting because people who know they're sinners and are in desperate need of help find welcome and comfort in Jesus. But Jesus at the same time calls them to repent of their sin. And I, I tend to see those, or I want to see those in my, uh, in my struggle as in conflict with each other. Like, right. how can Jesus call us to repentance as sinners? But also, we find welcome and we're... We, yeah, we, we're comfortable, uh, in a sense, around Jesus. Right. 
So when you think about that with Jesus, so you're going to solve this dilemma with right, for, right me, for me, yeah, right here now. Mark the date down. Uh, so with Jesus constantly telling people to repent, but what is it about him that in the midst of that that you think also draws people in and gives them comfort in the midst of that call for repentance? Yeah, I think one aspect I think that brought immense comfort to those around him. So maybe I'll solve just one tiny aspect. Yeah. Of <laughs> Not the whole thing, aspect. Just one I have to do some work <laughs> yeah. on my own. <laughs> um, but that I love that the Gospels talk about Jesus touching people to heal them. Hmm. And I think it is really easy for me to read the Bible and think, well, he was God, so he knew he wouldn't get sick. Or he knew that that one person really needed to be touched, not just told something. But if we really think about Jesus as being a full person, he was human, and touching other humans um, is really important. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that importance of human touch um, really started to come into my life in a new way during OT school. So we had finished all of our academic studies, so it's time to go out to our field work for several months you know, before you get your degree, so you have to practice what you've been learning. So it's, you know... I think that I, you know, similar to the idea of doctrine needs Mm -hmm. to be put into practice. So we have to do this now. So I remember those first few days in my very first placement, following my supervisor around in a hospital. And I hadn't spent extended time in a hospital before those months. And just the amount of sickness and disease and decay was very shocking Mm -hmm. um, because you're just there day after day for 10 hours at a time. And you're just Mm -hmm. around a lot of things that are honestly pretty humbling and gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but my supervisor didn't hesitate. She went right into those hospital rooms. She helped people. She held their hands. She helped them get dressed. She touched them with that healing touch to help them get in and out of bed, on and off the toilet, in and out of the shower. So nothing glamorous or glorious mm-hmm. at all. And I think that's true of you know a lot of people in the medical profession as well. Um, but in those days, I was so moved and just felt really strong that this is what Christ did for sinners, that he came alongside them. He wasn't shocked, you know, at their state of decay yeah. or how badly they smelled or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He reached out and touched them because that's what he came to do. He came yeah. to be human alongside us. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's great because, uh, like, the example that you're giving is it's a human recognizing the humanity of other people even in the midst of their pain or in the midst Mm -hmm. of their sickness or and it's not it's not treating them as though their struggle makes them less than it's it's recognizing Mm -hmm. even even in the midst of that like no this this doesn't you are fully human this doesn't affect affect uh you and your value and that yeah that's that's what jesus does so even when he even when so like even a, a doctor in a relationship or anyone in a relationship with someone who's sick, you're recognizing their sickness and their right. illness in the same mm-hmm. way that Jesus recognizes and points out our sin. Uh, but that doesn't mean he keeps us at arm's length. A right. doctor, a nurse, any medical professional pursues, right. or an occupational therapist, you pursue mm-hmm. someone in the midst of their struggle mm-hmm. and come alongside them. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's not just pointing something out and then saying, mm-hmm. okay, I see this in you and keeping you away. He, he comes after you. And that's, yeah, that's a lovely picture of Jesus as the true human yeah. who treats us as, as human as well.
Yeah, it's definitely something to aspire to, you know, every time you think, because I think you can also get numb to it, mm -hmm. too, in terms of, you know, if you're working in it every day or if you're around people, you just kind of like, eh, well, maybe I don't need to be as personal today or whatever yeah. it is. But I think it's always something to aspire to. Yeah. That, no, this is really what Christ did for us. And this is what I need to do, too, with these people. Yeah. Yeah, in our in our men's Bible study, we're going through Matthew, and it's taking us forever, uh, which is fine and <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, but it's like it's like six months, and we're in chapter ten or something like that. <laughs> but but um, yeah, we've just talked. Somebody just brought up that like Jesus never seems like he's going through the motions. Hmm. Like it never. There's never any point where you feel like Jesus is just kind of doing his thing. Like he's always engaged, hmm. and like that. Like he never. He never sees people's sin and struggle and just sort of, yeah, becomes like, ah, disconnected from it or, or, or callous to it. It always deeply affects him and it always moves him, moves him toward people. Um, the one quote that Dane Ortland has, he says, in Jesus Christ, we are given a friend who will always enjoy rather than refuse our presence. And I think that's that idea that like he... He never keeps us at arm's length. He always he's always welcoming us in. Right. And this is another thing that like I believe in my head because I see it play out in the Gospels and all of Scripture really in the way God interacts with His people. But in my day to day life, I do find it difficult to always be freely running to Jesus in the midst of my pain and sin. I assume you have some sort of struggle with this. <laughs> with this as well, you don't do this perfectly. No. Uh, like so, how have you found it difficult to live in light of this this truth that Jesus never refuses our presence? And then, what do you think it is that keeps you, or keeps all of us, in a sense, from living as if Jesus truly does enjoy us and doesn't keep us at arm's length and wants us to be with Him? Right. Yeah, I think for me, shame is such a strong reaction, and I can see in my relationship with my kids especially now that malachi is older and can verbalize things a lot easier that relationship and it's so humbling because as he's able to verbalize more of his thoughts to me and shame is such a strong emotion that he experiences um, sometimes and he has described it recently as his heart wanting to hide mm. and i thought that was so insightful because i don't want him to hide from me i want him to be able to come to me and i want to be able to comfort him and so I think feeling that emotion in me, being like, oh, God must want me to come to him. But I know it's my tendency to hide as well. Mm -hmm. I don't want God to find out or even though he already knows or I, yeah. I feel like maybe I need to punish myself for a certain amount of time. Like, oh, if I wallow in my shame and guilt, you know, for a few days or a few weeks before coming to God, mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, well, then I... Did my I punished myself enough so then I can come to him which yeah. doesn't make any sense like I wouldn't want Malachi to hide from yeah. me feeling guilty for several days I would want him to just come to me so we could restore mm -hmm. our relationship I, I wouldn't want him to hide yeah so I think that parenting relationship has been helpful insight into my own heart of mm -hmm. my shame that I hide when I shouldn't yeah so. That's a lovely quote yeah. of Malachi. My heart wants to hide. Yeah, like that, so that is insightful. Nice, <laughs> it's only six. Good work, Malachi. <laughs> yeah, like that's a wonderful picture yeah. of what shame does to us. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, 
Yeah, it, it's our heart wanting to hide because we, because we assume that everyone around us, in a sense, wants us to hide as well. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, in my sin and my shame, I assume, oh, God must want me to hide for a bit until I pull it together or mm -hmm. something because he doesn't have time for this or he doesn't want this. I have to get cleaned up before, before I get to him. I, I think about how, like, I often think that I need to be worthy of the forgiveness of Jesus before mm -hmm. he'll offer it to me. And not in a sense that I have to, like, I know that Jesus died for my sin and that is where my forgiveness comes from. But I feel like I need to be worthy to receive that forgiveness. Right. <laughs> so, so it's like I need to be prepped or I yeah. need to do something exactly. so I can go to Jesus and then he can offer me forgiveness mm -hmm. on the cross. We still want to put some works out there. We still want yeah. to do something to earn Yeah, it. like I've got to do, I gotta, I have to do something, <laughs> yeah. right? It's interesting um, in, in Revelation 3, and Orland talks about this, that Jesus is describing the church in Laodicea. And he calls them, I mean, it's like, it's their intense things. He calls mm -hmm. them wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And then Jesus says to that same church that he just called wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And I, so I love that, how Jesus sees that church's sin, or he sees our sin, calls us to repentance, but then also eats with us, wants to be with us, and wants to spend time with us. He, he, he's in a sense doing what Malachi is saying, like, no, don't, don't feel like you have to hide. Even right. though you're poor and you're blind and you're naked and you're wretched and pitiable, even though you are sinful, don't feel like you have to hide because I'm, I'm standing here ready to come in and ready to eat with you. And so how do you think that response of Jesus shapes the way that we think about people in our life, in our lives that are struggling with sin? And then, yeah, how, how, and how does it shape how we should respond to people who mm -hmm. are struggling with sin? This was something that really impacted me a lot during the evangelism class. Um, and it really challenged me a lot because I think we tend to... I don't know, our culture emphasizes, let's just label people and put them in a box and then we don't have to interact with them or we can throw insults at them from across the room because we label them as whatever. Um, but we are called to live life with these people who are around us, our neighbors, people who we come into contact with. And we do have the truth, so we do need to share it with them. But that really only can come in the context of a relationship. And that relationship takes lots of time and effort and energy and having people over for meals and really being able to listen and sit with people. And, you know, it just takes time over and over again until they may be open to sharing something with you about what they're struggling with or even just to be comfortable to say something to you. Mm -hmm. You need to have a relationship with that person. Yeah. And I think this is the real hospitality of being willing to let people into our lives, too, and make ourselves vulnerable um, and let people into our hearts, our homes. So I think it's really convicting how much more I really truly need to care about my neighbors and love them and want their good, not just, okay, I witnessed to them today, let's check a box mm -hmm. off. That's not really what it's supposed to be about. So they really should be able to t tell that I genuinely care about them and not just you know, saying hi from a distance, how can yeah. we more be invested in what's going on mm -hmm. in our neighborhood, our communities, and the people that we interact with all the time. 
you're right to point out like this does this takes effort like an yeah. emotional effort mm-hmm. it, it, like engaging with people takes effort and that's why it's so helpful to think of Jesus as fully human because it it emotionally drained him as well and mm. physically drained him which is mm. maybe some of the reason that he goes off uh, by himself on occasion throughout the scriptures and I'm sure I mean Maybe that's not the complete reason. He just mm-hmm. wants to be with his father in, in, in many ways. But also, mm-hmm. like, it's it's exhausting because he's because he's not some spirit floating around that kind of looks like a human. Yeah. Like it's physically exhausting yeah. to engage with with everyone. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so we should anticipate that and expect that. Like, right. no, this this takes effort in the same way that our friends when they're seeing us and interacting with us on our mm-hmm. sin that takes effort for them right. to interact with us it's not like exactly. we're these wonderful people and we have to give this effort towards all the sinners out there but other people are doing that to us in our lives i was thinking about um this response of jesus this sort of repentance but then also doing this sort of daily tasks of just eating with people asking questions mm-hmm. and being with people i was thinking about how that both sort of raises the bar for my engagement with people, but also lessens the pressure that I should put on myself. Hmm. Like it raises the bar because I can't avoid people. Like I, I, I don't have an option as a follower right. of Jesus to ignore people who are suffering. I can't mm-hmm. just look at somebody and think, I don't know, it's too complicated. I don't really know what to do. I don't have that option. So it raises the bar. But then it also, in that same situation where I feel like I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, it lessens the pressure because... Jesus looks at this church who's in difficulty and trouble and says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to eat with you. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, like, I can do that. Right. Like, I, can, I can do that with anybody. Yeah. And so it raises the expectations because it forces me and challenges me to, to not give up on people and not keep people mm-hmm. at arm's length. But it also says, no, just, just be with people. And treat them like humans and engage with them and ask questions and eat with them. And that, like just enter into their, into their lives. And I think that, that sort of entering into people's lives um, makes me think about this last section of chapter 12. The last section of chapter 12, Ortland talks about the mutual nature of our friendship with Christ, which doesn't mean, of course, that we are equals that Jesus right. is the sinless son of God and we are sinners submitting to his authority. But Orland talks about in the incarnation, Jesus comes to us not begrudgingly or not because it was just his duty and he had to, but because it pleases him to do so. And so he makes this argument that now just as we find joy in our friendship with Christ, he finds delight in his friendship with us. Mm-hmm. Which for me, uh, like... Maybe I've thought about it before. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I definitely don't dwell on this idea that Jesus finds delight in me. I just, that seems... Seems, seems uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Really? Are yeah. you sure you do? Yeah. Uh, yeah, how have you, have you thought about that before? That Jesus actually finds delight in relationship with you? And not even just generally Jesus delights in relationship with his people, but like you as an individual, that he delights with you. And... What difference does that make then as you go through your life, knowing that, oh, Jesus delights in being my friend? It's really hard. I think it's quite challenging because I think there's a lot of other concepts in the scripture that are a little bit easier for me to wrap my head around that are even, you know, contradictory, like a king's servant. Mm -hmm. But 
a king that's also a friend, like that is, that's yeah. really hard. I think yeah. that's um, transformative if I let myself dwell on it and that he finds delight in me coming to him about what's happening um, and makes me want to share more with him. But I, I do think my tendency is to shrink back, you know, like I had said, either because of shame or just because it is, it's hard to believe. But I think the more we let ourselves be shaped by these thoughts that Christ loves us, I know one way it's been impacting me this year, you know, all the concepts from the book, and specifically I just read this chapter, um, is on parenting, some of those practical things. One thing that happened recently is, so we'll talk about Malachi again, because that's my <laughs> example right now. But um, So he loves to collect sticks from the yard when we go on walks, if we're out at a park, like he loves collecting sticks of shape sizes and he's able to remember what they are from the moment he collects it he decides what it is and that's what it is and he can remember um what it is so these are his special toys so the one day his stick was outside and one of his friends broke it and he was crushed because it was like a special toy to him and my first reaction in my head was like okay come on this is just a stick like can we just go outside and get another one? Like, don't be sad. <laughs> they're everywhere. They're I everywhere promise. outside. We have so many trees in our yard and you'll be fine. But instead, thankfully, the Holy Spirit convicted me. And <laughs> just this thought of, no, Christ delights in you. So take a moment and delight in your son. So <laughs> thankfully, before I said anything, I just sat down next to him as he cried. And I said, okay, tell me about your stick what did it do? Why was it special? Mm -hmm. And it just allowed me to have that moment of connection with him and delight in the things that he delights in instead of just squashing it and saying, oh, you'll be, <laughs> excuse me, oh, you'll be fine yeah. because that's not that big of a deal. Well, Christ doesn't do that with us. He doesn't say, oh, what you're going through is not that big of a deal because at different life stages, we all have different things that are big deals. Mm -hmm in that moment like yeah. when we're a little kid those things are a big deal or when we're in high school writing a two-page paper is a big deal you know instead yeah. of just saying oh that's not that big of a deal mm -hmm. i've done more because so i think that's just a way for us as humans to have pride over people of younger ages mm -hmm. so that's been really convicting mm -hmm. for me as a parent that's really good and it makes me think of like interacting interacting with malachi in that particular moment as a reflection mm -hmm. of how you thought in that moment oh like Oh, okay. How has Jesus treated me in situations mm -hmm. like this when he might think, uh, big deal, Krista. Like, yeah. You'll be okay. There are other people out there <laughs> right. dealing with something. Other people like, are going through worse things than you. Yeah. Like it makes me think of Jesus being willing to say to the 99, oh, like there's one missing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to go find, it might not seem like a big deal. Like, oh, well, if there's a hundred and I've got 99 of anything in life, it seems like I'm doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, but Jesus is like, no, because even something that might seem small is a big deal to him and he's going to engage he's going to engage in something that might seem uh little or small or sometimes insignificant and that's it's yeah. interesting how that's what jesus is doing constantly in the gospels in a sense he's he's finding all the people who people who were deemed insignificant or or less than or or, or whatever or just ignored and he keeps going after those people to show that, like, no, you you are all significant, and it doesn't mean that actually the Pharisees were insignificant. That's not even what he's saying. Right. But he's he's calling everyone to repentance and into to his love, mm -hmm. uh, Pharisees and and people who are cast off mm -hmm. or, or set aside, and yeah, to see 
all of us as individuals are significant, but then all the things that we're going through uh, to, to try to experience the weight. When, other, when you have a friend going through something, whether you think it's a huge deal or not, to try to show compassion by sitting in the midst of that weight or that difficulty. Yeah, right. that's what being a friend is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard sometimes. Yeah. Do you have, have you had, as you've thought as Jesus being a friend in this chapter, have you had either a friend for an extended period of time or, or even people who have fit this description or shown this kind of uh, friendship to you? Somebody who doesn't sort of raise an eyebrow when you share something that's a big deal or maybe when you share something that might not be a big deal, but it's hurting you that doesn't kind of cast it aside like okay well you'll be fine uh or somebody who never turns you away someone who finds joy in being with you have you had friends or a friend in your life that's been that sort of friend to you yeah i know this is very humbling for me because i know many people have never had one close friend like this uh, because human friendships do need to have that mutual trust Mm -hmm. that you can completely be able to trust the other person Um, so God has definitely blessed me in that I have a few very close friends, one who we were friends since we were born and somehow we're still friends today, which is amazing. Um, and a few other close female friendships. Um, and John obviously is also a close friend too, but, um, I think those true friendships have that aspect of self sacrificial love and, um, it's very humbling because they will walk with me even when I have nothing to offer. So, I was thinking about this um, even in the last year. Uh, these closest friends have have been so life-sustaining for me in so many ways. And most recently, when I had nothing to offer, they walked with me through my dad's cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year when he died, it was just such a dark time for me. And they were continually following up with me, reaching out to me. And they were just there for me. I'm sure I was no fun to be around. (laughs) And they didn't care. They were there Hmm. um, with me through all of that, just to sit as I cried, just to listen to my questions. Mm -hmm. And they didn't judge me for asking things that were hard or maybe I shouldn't have been asking. They just were there to listen. Um, And I really loved um, his quote from the book where he said, if we allow the world around us in our present cultural moment to dictate to us the significance of friendship, we not only lose out on a reality vital to human flourishing at the horizontal level, we lose out even worse on enjoying the friendship of Christ at a vertical level. So in reflecting on that friendship horizontally, I think these friendships really were a lifeline for Mm -hmm. me, especially last year. I needed those established close friends who already knew me because I desperately needed those close friends to walk with me through a very dark time and i can feel that god designed us to need these human relationships i think we can all feel that and i needed healing and they also offered me that healing and hope in a way that i think other people probably couldn't have spoken into my life though Mm -hmm. my closest friends because i knew them because i trusted them they could say things that other people couldn't yeah um and they were able to really speak god's word into my heart to bring healing and let that those seeds start to be planted. And then on a vertical level, I really could feel Christ's presence through the presence of my closest Mm -hmm. friends, just being with me. They prayed for me. They wept with me. And 
that's just what Christ does. And so I really saw and felt Christ through them Mm -hmm. as they were with me. So I just thought that quote from the book was really, really insightful Mm -hmm. on friendships and how much we need them. And also having a good friend or a few close friends really points you to Christ and what he has done for us. Yeah. So that's wonderful to hear because that is like that is friendship (laughs) like like you're describing like the definition of what friendship is supposed to be Mm -hmm. um and and it's it's wonderful to hear too how friendship uh like christian sacrificial loving friendship the holy god uses the holy spirit uses that to make Christ, the love of Christ, or the heart of Christ, like known to us, and like I, I haven't thought about it until you're sitting here talking, but it's like the chapter thirteen is this short chapter on the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and uh, and so Ortland talks about like he lists all these things the Holy Spirit does, but he's like, hey, this is a book about Jesus, so I'm not going to go on for forty pages about what the Holy Spirit does, but the thing that he sits with is that the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he, he says it this way, the Holy Spirit causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. And I think, like in a sense, the friendships that you've had, and even in the past year and a half or so, mm-hmm. like the comfort you found is the comfort of the Holy Spirit exactly. making the heart of Christ known to you through your friends. Right. It's such <laughs> and an it's, amazing it's, Yeah, and it's amazing yeah. how like all three of those come together mm-hmm. in this friendship. It's the Spirit mm-hmm. using your friends to make the heart of Christ known to you. Mm-hmm. And and I think, I mean, he doesn't talk about it in that way, that like the Spirit uses people, but I think that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit does uh, help us feel Christ's heart for us. Mm-hmm. Or, or said another way, it's like the Holy Spirit takes what we read in the Bible, what we sort of believe on paper about Jesus, and moves it from, I think he says this, from theory to reality, mm-hmm. or from something like a box that we check, which is good and necessary, and we have to do that, a box that we check, to something that we actually are experiencing and feeling in our hearts. And can you, so in a sense, I think you've already talked about a time. <laughs> but, <laughs> There's one time. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you just shared a time that yeah. the Spirit did this. Uh, but are there other, are there other times in your life that you can think about when you went from sort of believing about Jesus or the heart of Christ to actually experiencing it as a reality? Yeah, so first I had to think about doctrinal things. So like, what are some doctrinal things? So what first kind of came to mind is the all-sufficiency of Christ. So that's something I've known. I think we, we talk about this a lot. Christ accomplished everything. He is everything we need for our salvation. But So I know this in theory, that my value doesn't, come from what I accomplish, but I'm a very type A person. I like to get my big checklist done. Um, And I really had to wrestle with this a few years ago when I was suddenly very unable to do anything for myself. Um, We were in a car accident and I got a concussion, a pretty bad concussion several years ago. And it left me completely and utterly dependent in a way that I have never been in my entire life. I could hardly get out of bed. Um, because of such severe pain and migraines. So I think one of the reasons, I mean, obviously it was painful, but it was also my identity was kind of stripped away from me. I was always someone who could be self-sufficient, take care of myself, Mm -hmm. take care of my family, and do 
everything I wanted to and volunteer at church and do all the things. And that's how people, and that's how I related to people. That's how I related to God. I did these things and this is how I made myself feel good and how I made mm-hmm. God happy. This is what I did. Yeah. Um, and so just being forced to see my value, not in my accomplishments, but in what Christ has accomplished for me, that he still loved me, even though I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even read my Bible because mm-hmm. of the migraines. So I just had to lay there and trust that Christ was all I needed. Um, so I think that is still humbling. So even when I still do get headaches, it's that reminder. Because it's so easy to jump back into that mindset of, well, as long as I can do these things, then that's what Christ is going to love. Mm-hmm. But that conviction from the Holy Spirit, I mean, that's really all that I could do for that year is just be with Christ and let his heart be with me. And I think that conviction from the Holy Spirit just really transform, transforming my mind and how I view myself is that I don't need to do things for yeah. him. Yeah. It's, it really should be you know, out of a joy for my already established relationship um, that he loved me and was right there with me. So I think that was something that I learned a lot that year, but I still have to be reminded. It's <laughs> because <laughs> um, it's easy to forget when you're just able to do things and able to do what you want. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's yet to think to to move from so you knew in your mind that when you were unable to do all the sort of active things that before you had thought like oh Jesus loves me because of this not that you actually thought that but mm-hmm. you sort of you sort of take we take that on like oh yeah and then when we can't do any of that <laughs> to come for the Spirit to work in you for you to see. Oh, Jesus loves me just as much now when I'm laying on the couch and I can't get up and do things. Uh, his love for me is equal, and he finds joy in being with me, just as much joy in being with me now as he does, does when I'm serving and doing all sorts of things. Like mm-hmm. Somehow, because of the heart of Christ, he loves us equally in both of those things. Yeah, like that's a, that's a wonderful thing to sort of for the Spirit to help that take hold of our hearts of course mm-hmm. never perfectly but like for that to sort of sink in yeah. that like i am loved just as much now as i as i am when i'm actively doing all these things mm-hmm. in the church and and i can say oh i i know why jesus loves me in that moment right. it's like wow i i don't know why jesus would love me now mm-hmm. oh, well it's because of his heart mm-hmm. like it's not because i'm doing anything for him right. it, that's yeah that's a lovely thing to go mm-hmm. sort of from our head and sink down mm-hmm. into our heart. I I loved I, I liked this that he it, it it almost felt like when he wrote this chapter he wavered on whether he should write it because he's like this is a book about Jesus yeah. but I guess I'll I'll, I'll slip I got to do something on the Holy Spirit yeah. so I'll give you like four and a half pages yeah. on the Holy Spirit but I I loved that because I thought that like without this chapter on the Holy Spirit for me I think there's a tendency for me to read this whole book. And then think, okay, now I need to work really, really hard to experience the heart of Christ. Mm. <laughs> like, okay, all right, now I got it. I, I heard about it. That's that's great. It's wonderful news. I need to work really hard now to experience this. And of course, we have to engage in reading our Bible and praying and worshiping and the sacraments. And like these are sort of the means by which we start to 
the heart of Christ and his love for us sinks in. His right. gentle, lowly heart sinks in. But ultimately, it's the spirit using all of those things. Like, it's not something that I'm doing where, oh, now I'm grasping the heart of Christ. It's the spirit using all those things to teach me. And in a sense, in your, in your example, like, it was, it's the Holy Spirit using before, like, your friendships, mm-hmm. and then the Holy Spirit using a period of inactivity and pain mm-hmm. for you to for you to learn more and maybe not learn because that's like a mental image but yeah for you to like experience and come to know deep in your heart that jesus does actually have this heart is true Mm -hmm. uh in jesus and yeah i think that's it's wonderful and i think in many ways as we are going through this book like that's our prayer for wheatland as a whole Mm -hmm. is for us to read this book and talk about it with each other but knowing that it's only the Holy Spirit who's going to take our study of this book and give us the rest that we find in Jesus. It's right. not because we worked really, really hard at it as a church for a yeah. year and we talked about it and we had these yeah. worship services. It's because the Spirit uses all that to change us and shape mm-hmm. us, not because we did something exactly. for them to make it happen. Well, thanks, Krista, for joining me. Thank you for opening up your life uh, and some of your struggles and things you've been through. I really appreciate it and really appreciate you being willing to share your thoughts and your heart as you're reflecting on the heart of Christ. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thank you for listening to The Heart of Christ, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit wheatlandpca.org.